to you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, or if you have an app on your phone, it might be even be on the screen in front of you. It's on, we're going to be in Psalm 27 this morning. So Psalm 27 is our text. It's a great joy and honor for me to uh, be with you all this morning. Um, I enjoyed being here last year and enjoyed the invitation back. have a tremendous amount of respect for your church and for your pastor. And th- this morning, we get to be here. It's a great privilege. I, wanna, I want you to kind of think before we begin about what we're getting ready to do, uh, what an opportunity we have before us. We, we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate what God or if God has anything to say. We, we have an opportunity, we have a privilege to open His Word to us, to be shaped by His Word through His Spirit in our hearts. And so what we're getting ready to do should not be taken for granted, but should be taken with great gratitude and a great privilege that we have a copy of God's Word that God wants to use to speak to our lives and to reveal more about Himself to us. Amen? And that's a great thing that we tend to take for granted a lot. Uh, one of the things that's helped me the most in the last eight to ten years of my life when approaching the Word of God is to have this mindset, whether it's in my personal study or teaching through uh, FCA on campus or chapels with football teams or uh, working with athletes one-on-one or it's in a setting like this, is that when we open this book, we have to understand that this book is not a word about God. Th- this book right here is not a word about God. This is actually God's word. There's other books that are, are books about God. And you can buy those anytime you want. People write books that are about God. This is different. This is claiming to be the revelation and the Word of God. This is actually claiming to be God's Word. Not a word about God, but God's Word. So what, you say, why, why such the distinction? Well, the distinction is, is that when you open that, that's what Paul's arguing in the New Testament. He said, I pray that you would receive this as the Word of God, not as the Word of man, because it hits heavier. It hits with a different weight when we do that. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, is I really don't have anything to say. I don't really have many opinions in life. I just want to open this up and read it and tell you what it says, and that hopefully that God would speak to our hearts and change us a little bit in that process. So let's, let's do just that. It's Psalm 27. I'm going to read only the, verse, uh, the, the first four verses. I'm going to teach the entire chapter this morning, but I'm going to read to you the, the first four verses, and then we're going to pray and jump in to the text this morning. David wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear Though wars rise against me, yet I will be confident. The one thing I've asked of the Lord that, I, that, will I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord 
and to inquire in his temple. Father God, we pray that that your word would saturate our hearts, that it would shape our lives, that we would be a people of your word. But God, that we need you. May we learn more about you from this text, that our confidence is based upon not what we see, but upon you. And God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, when they were building the uh, Golden Gate Bridge over the San Francisco Bay, they had a couple of issues and a couple of problems. And what began to happen was the construction of the bridge fell behind badly because of the wind. And as these guys were climbing the bridge and the scaffolding to build the Golden Gate Bridge, the wind was so bad that guys actually began to fall off and fell off the bridge and actually to their death. So all the work stopped. It halted. Because if you're working on the bridge and you see homeboy over here, he fell off and he died, you're, you're, you're not real quick to get back up on that bridge yourself. So it's probably like, hey, I'm, I think maybe we should all just take a break here a little bit. So engineers, administrators, they could find no solutions to try to get this thing back going. So finally, in spite of all the cost, engineers opted for something. And what they actually suggested and came up with was a gigantic net that would be hung under the bridge to catch anybody who fell. So sure enough, they built a net, they put it under the bridge, and a worker or two began to get back up on the bridge, and they fell, sure enough, but when they fell, they fell into the net and were saved. All of the time that was lost now to fear was replaced with faith and confidence because they saw the confidence of the net. All fear was replaced and regained because now they saw the source of the net, which now then helped them to regain confidence. Workers became productive when they were confident. The bridge got built because they were confident in the net. Confidence was restored. Confidence was restored because they saw the faithfulness of the net. When confidence is high, work gets done. They had reasons for confidence. They had reasons for confidence even in the midst of a challenge. Confidence always has a source. Confidence always has a source. Confidence always has a reason. You can live with confidence today, or you can live with fear today, but you can't live with both. Confidence drives out fear. It did for these workers building the Golden Gate Bridge, but it also did for David, who penned Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, David was facing plenty of reasons for real, justified reasons for fear. We're not saying that his fears were subjective. They were objective. David had real, justified reasons for fear. He was at war with other nations. His own people were even trying to kill him. David had real reasons for fear. But also, what I want you to see from the text this morning is that David had real greater reasons for confidence. 
God was not calling David to live in fear. God was calling David to live in confidence. You can have, uh, let me put this a little bit different here. Um, you have real justified reasons for fear in your life. No one is saying that you don't. You have real justified reasons for fear. But the Bible is actually saying we have real justified reasons for confidence also. You can live with fear. You can live with confidence. But you can't live with both. And so what we have to choose to decide here is that which one are we going to go with? Which, which, which path are we going to go with? Because they're both real and they're both justified, but God is calling us to not live with fear. He's calling us to live with confidence. It's the most repetitive commandment in the entire Bible is to fear not. It's our choice. What will we choose? Psalm 27 is a Mount Rushmore of Psalm. It's a giant. And Psalm 27 is telling us that God is the true source of all confidence. That confidence, listen closely, Confidence is the free gift of God for anyone who is rightly trusting in God's goodness. Confidence is the free gift of God for anyone who is going to rightly trust in his goodness. And so in this text, I want you to notice a few different observations in the text. And the first one is this, is the source of confidence. I want you to notice in the text the source of confidence. Look at what David says here again in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail to eat me up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Wow. What a statement. Well, that's not just a statement, that's a declaration. Listen to what David refers to here. David refers to the Lord as his light, his salvation, his stronghold. He is saying the Lord is his security. But notice something really, really important. Notice that it's not just that the Lord is a light or a salvation or a stronghold, but David says a really, really important word here. He says, my. It's my light, my salvation, my stronghold. The most powerful word in this verse is this little pronoun, my. It's a two-letter word. It's a pronoun, but it's the difference. It is the difference between walking in fear and walking in confidence. David possesses the Lord. His confidence is sky high, okay? His confidence is sky high because of who he's got in his life. His confidence is sky high, not because of who he is, but because of what he's got. Confidence is always based upon what you possess. Confidence is based upon what you possess. David has the Lord. And what I want you to know here is that he has not just encountered, he's not just encountered the Lord with his ears. 
David has encountered the Lord with his heart. He's experienced God in his life. He's actually making a claim that the Lord God Almighty is his. He has the Lord. And because he has the Lord, he doesn't need to fear any man, any enemy, or any circumstance. He's experienced the faithfulness of the Lord in the past, so that encourages him to put his faith in the Lord in the present moment. He says, I have the Lord. The other little word I want you to notice is not just the word my, but I want you to notice also and pay attention to the word is. The Lord is. Don't miss the present tense of that verse. or Don't, don't, don't miss the present tense of that word. The Lord is my light, is my salvation, is my stronghold. It not was, not will be, but is. Lock in here just a minute. The only way to have true security in the moment is to have the Lord in the moment with you. What gives David confidence and security What gives David confidence and security is not a lesser circumstance. What gives David confidence and security is not a lesser enemy. What gives David confidence and security is the very fact that he has the present, active, sustaining God who will never leave him, never forsake him. There's no other possession, there's no other person, And there's no other purpose that can eradicate your fears. Only possessing the Lord God Almighty can do that. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. The Lord wants to be a present, active, sustaining grace in your life. Church, we have a present tense gospel. We have a present tense gospel. Jesus Christ on the cross died for your sins, and then all of your sins are forgiven, those that are in Christ. That is a true statement. But Jesus Christ did not just die on the cross for your sins. I want you to think about this just a minute. Jesus Christ did die on the cross for your sins, but a lot of Christians and a lot of believers stop right there. Christ was crucified, was buried, and resurrected, and he died for your sins. Yes and amen. And in those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there's, that's not all there is into the story. The rest of the story is, is that by grace through faith, he makes you the place where he actually dwells. So he's not just making a declaration of justification of your sins, he's actually dwelling in you as a believer. And so it's a present tense gospel. He makes you the place where he dwells. So church, we need to be encouraged this morning when we walk out the doors, is that we have a present tense gospel. It's mine and it's is. The question this morning is, uh, are you living like this? Are you believing this? The question I want to throw out to you, in fact, what I want to encourage you to think about as you go throughout your week this week, is that I want to encourage you to not try to behave better. I want to encourage you to try to believe better. If you try to behave better, it doesn't work. But if you believe better, your life will continue to change. 
Beliefs drive behavior. Ask Courtney Love over here. If, 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 if he gets on the field and he believes that we don't have a chance, I guarantee you that affects how he behaves on the field. But if he gets on the field and he believes with all of his heart that these guys, these guys that he's facing don't have a chance, that belief drives a certain behavior in him. Guys, we got to believe better. That's, that's why the local church is so important. That's why gathering on Sunday morning is so important. Don't come here only when you feel like it. Come every single Sunday when you come because it's shaping your beliefs. The beliefs that you have are the most important thing you have about your entire life. The beliefs are shaping you. This is what David is saying. This is his beliefs. He is saying that confidence is based upon what he possesses. Um, my family and I, we, we actually do something that maybe some people kind of think is crazy a little bit. We actually run and um, run for fun. Actually, that's kind of... We actually run for fun. My, my son runs cross country and track, and he's getting ready to go into his freshman year of college, and he's going to run. But back in 2006, I lived in a, a smaller county from here, Lincoln County, down in Kentucky, close to Somerset. And, man, I was actually training for my very first half marathon down there. And it, we lived out, you know, kind of rural area, a two-lane country road, and there was not neighborhoods to go run in. And so, sure enough, I ran down my two-lane country road, and on a particular long run, I had to it was the kind of beginning of my training, but I had to run out so many miles and turn around and run back. And I was running through a little valley. And when I ran through this little valley, all these dogs came out from these trailers, and they came out and surrounded me in the middle of the highway, in the middle of the road. And I don't know like you, but I love dogs. We all do know that dogs will be in heaven. Cats, um... <laughs> but, but we, so sure enough, I just don't like a pack of dogs. And so sure enough, all these pack of dogs surrounded me in the middle of the road, and they're surrounding me, and I didn't really know what to do. And I'm kind of freeze, I'm froze here, and a guy, a true story, hollers at me from a trailer and a deck that he had built over there, and he hollers at me, he says, hey man, catch this. And sure enough, he threw me from about 20 yards away a tobacco stick. And he threw me a tobacco stick, and I caught it in the middle there. And I had this tobacco stick, and I carried this tobacco stick, and I pointed it at these dogs. These dogs all started backing off, and they went home. The problem is, is that I've got about four more miles to run, and I have a tobacco stick in my hand, and the tobacco stick's pretty long. And so what I decided to do is I decided to lay it in the ditch on the way out of the valley, and I'm going to go ahead and run with it. But I'm doing an out-and-back run, so now I've got to turn around and come back. And I thought, hey, that tobacco stick is still in the ditch. I've got to go right back through that valley where those dogs are. I'm going to pick that stick right back up, and when I go through that valley, I'll, those dogs will probably come out, and I'll have my tobacco stick, and I'll point it at them. And sure enough, I went through the valley. The dogs came out. I pointed the tobacco stick at those dogs. Those dogs all backed off. Then I laid the tobacco stick in the ditch on that way. The next day when I came did that, I picked up my tobacco stick, come through the valley. Dogs come out, pointed at them. They kept backing up. I did that for four months, y'all, four months. <laughs> went right through that valley. I learned a really important lesson on that day, and it's this, is that confidence is always based upon what you, what, possess. I possess that tobacco stick. I ain't worried of nothing about those dogs coming out of me. That's what David is saying. David is saying confidence is based upon what you possess. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. Whom shall I Man, what a good word. That's the source of confidence. The second thing I want you to notice about the text is the pursuit of confidence. Now, look down here 
um, this is verse 4. This is the pursuit of confidence. Verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I want you to notice that there is a source of confidence, which is God. But there's a pursuit involved also. In other words, let me explain it like this. In David's relationship with God, according to verse 4, there is nothing passive that describes David's relationship with God. You don't hear words like this coming out of David's mouth. Let go and let God. No, he's pursuing God. There's nothing passive here. David's relationship with God can be described not as passive, but more accurately described as a pursuit. The presence of God always involves a pursuit. I I love verse 4. The one thing I've asked of the Lord, in other words, it's singular, that I will seek after. There's a choice here. There's intentionality. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, what he means here, he, he doesn't mean that, man, he just wants to come here on Sunday and lay on the pew and just kind of, man, it wouldn't be awesome just to spend every day here all week. Just, man, love the carpet, beautiful building. I mean, I just like to spend all my days just right here with Pastor Cruz hanging out here. In the, some of y'all, <laughs> I don't know about that no, 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 the reason why he's saying I want to spend all my time in the house of the Lord is because then that's where God's spirit actually dwelt. So he's not talking about that he's just in love with the furniture or the windows. No, he's not talking about the external things. He's talking about because that's where God dwelt and that's where he wants to spend all of his time. He, he's, he's in love with the presence of God. This is what he's specifically talking about. In fact, in Psalm 84.10, a few chapters later in the book of Psalm, David says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. So listen to these words. This is what I seek. Better is one day. I would rather. All of these words imply choice and intentionality. That's his desire and his preference. What, what does all that mean, guys? How does that relate to confidence? I, w- I want to share this, and this might be one of the most important things I can share with you this morning, and this is exactly what the text is trying to help us to understand this morning. Okay? Now listen to this. This means that confidence never comes because you have a clearer view of yourself. Confidence comes because you have a clear view of God. See, the world right now is basically sending a lot of messages and a lot of voices to all of us. And it's basically saying is that what you really need to do right now is focus more on you. The world's trying to tell us constantly, you really need to spend more time thinking about you and focusing on you and doing a deeper dive into you. However, if you really want to mess your life up and you really want to end up with a horrible life, focus on you as much as you can. But the Bible's actually saying, no, if you want confidence, stop trying to focus on you and start focusing on God. Confidence comes from a clear view of who God is. 
not a clear view of yourself. Actually, Jesus talked about that. Anybody wants to waste his life will lose it, but anybody loses his life will actually gain it. This is exactly what Christ is doing here. David, think about it, was surrounded at this time by nations and his own people trying to kill him, and he was able to stare defeat and death in the face because he was looking to something beyond his circumstances. He was looking to something that gave him comfort and confidence, and he was looking to God who's already rescued him. He saw through the threats to a God who is faithful. Here's what, here's, here's what we're trying to say. If you pursue confidence, you'll never find it. If you pursue confidence, you'll never find it. But if you pursue intimacy with God, you'll be confident. Confidence is a byproduct of being rightly related and seeking and trusting in the goodness of God. So that's what we learn. What we learn is, is that you can't bypass God and get confidence. That's sin. But whenever you want things from God, but not God himself, it's called idolatry. So confidence was never the goal. Listen to this. Confidence was never the goal for David. And it never should be the goal for us. God is the goal. God is the pursuit. And what are you pursuing is then confidence is a byproduct of pursuing an audience of one. Does that make sense? Hey, we'll start all over. I'll go back to my Golden Gate Bridge illustration. Y'all ready? We'll go right back. One of my favorite guys on the planet is from Estill County. One of my favorite dudes on the planet is from Estill County. His name is Brian Kaiser. Brian Kaiser played basketball at the other school. <laughs> Brian Kaiser played basketball at the University of Louisville. Brian Kaiser was a great player from Estill County and could really shoot, could really shoot the ball. And um, Brian Kaiser was on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the University of Louisville for a while. And now he's a missionary to the Middle East has an amazing ministry, and every time I'm around this guy, I'm humbled by him. What God has done in his life is just amazing in how he continues to navigate his life. But he told me a story one day. He said that uh, when he was playing for the University of Louisville and playing for Coach Crum, and he would walk out onto the court, he said as all the crowds began to gather around and all the stadium began to fill up, right before tip-off, he said he had a rhythm and a routine and that he would always look up into the bleachers and he would always find one empty seat in the stadium. He said, I would always find out one, you know, one empty seat, one empty chair. He said, because in that stadium, in his mind and in his heart, before the, before the game began, before there was a tip-off, in his heart and his mind, he would find one empty seat. And in that chair, he would place the Lord Jesus Christ sitting in that chair. And he did that as a reminder to himself that he did not play for the audience of many. He played for the audience of one. He did that as a reminder that every single, every single thing that he did on that court, every type of attitude, every type of perseverance, every type of energy, every type of conversation with a teammate, every type of conversation with a referee, with a coach, he wanted to make sure that his audience was an audience of one and not an audience of many. An audience of one. Confidence begins to happen and occur in your life when you stop living for an audience of many and you begin to lock in on an audience of one. That's the pursuit involved. This is what we have to seek after. This is what we want to treasure. So I showed you the source of confidence first, showed you the pursuit of confidence second. Now I want to show you the fight for confidence third. Look at verse 7. Verses 7 through 12. 
David says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Man, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, for the first six verses, David sounds so confident. Now in verse 7, he's like, hear, O Lord, hey, be gracious and answer me. The, the same guy that was so confident in the previous six verses is now asking God, God, where are you? Hear me. Answer me. Look at verse 8. He says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Guess what David's doing right now? He's fighting for his confidence. He, he, at the beginning where his faith felt so secure and so confident, it doesn't feel so confident now. Man, I, I, these verses sound so different. Just when you begin to think that there is a formula for driving out fear and living with confidence, you realize there's no formula. You know what his faith feels like right now? His faith feels like a fight. His faith feels like a fight. That doesn't discourage me. That encourages me. Because faith, faith is not theatrical. Faith is not theater. His vulnerability makes it real. If there's ever a moment in your faith and in your journey where it feels like a fight, nothing's wrong. It just is hard. Nothing's wrong. It's just hard. It, it, this teaches us that fears don't all, the, don't all the way go away just because you put some bars on the window. They kind of tend to crawl back in. David was confident in verse 3, but he's anxious in verse 7. David feels distant from God. God has invited David to seek him, but David felt like God was hiding from him. So it begs the question, what do you do when you don't feel God? What do you do when you don't feel God? You don't listen to your feelings. You speak truth to yourself. You see, our, if, if I'm not wrong here, our, our faith is not based on a feeling. Praise God. Our, our, our faith is based upon truth. You, you, you today, you may not feel like gravity is true. Let me ask you, how, how's that going to work for you today? See, gravity is not based upon whether or not you feel like it or not. Gravity is still a truth. Faith is not about a feeling, but faith is about truth. So what do you do when you don't feel God? Is that you remind yourself of truth. And he does that here. He begins to say that to him. In verse 11, what's more beautiful than this is that in verse 10, he talks about his father and mother's forsaken him, but he says, but the Lord will take me in. And then you get a real picture of David's heart here in verse 11. Well, verse 11, you get a picture of David's heart. David's heart says, 
Teach me your way, O Lord. You know what David wants from God? In fact, this, this would be a great litmus test for anybody that's a true believer, true salvation. David is not asking for a better circumstance. David's not asking for a better life, your best life now. David is saying, God, I want you. God, you just teach me your ways. God, I, I want to be obedient to you. This is the foundation that he wants. This reveals his heart. He wants to be taught. He's not treating God like a bellhop, just calling out when you need him. He has a willing heart, a teachable heart, to do and to obey God's voice. There's nothing static about this relationship. He wants to be taught. He wants to obey. He wants to be shaped. He wants a place, when he says a level path, that's secure against the storms of life. The best place to stand is always on a level path. He wants a good foundation. That foundation is based upon truth. So what does all that mean? Confidence is not based upon feelings. Confidence is based upon truth. One of the most important things that you can do this week is to not listen to yourself. One of the most important things you can do this week is to speak truth to yourself. Most athletes, uh, and I work with Courtney and work with athletes for 12 years at the University of Kentucky, and we talk about this all the time. But the most influential person in your life, the most influential person in your life is you. And the reason why that's true is because you talk to yourself all day long. It's not are you talking to yourself. The question is, what are you telling yourself? And are you telling yourself something that's true, or are you telling yourself something that's false? So confidence is not based upon feelings. Feelings are real, but they're not reliant. What's more important than feelings is truth. And David is standing on that. You see, first of all, the source of confidence, which is God. You see the pursuit of confidence, which is active, sustaining, pursuing God. It's nothing static, but you see this fight for confidence. And fourth, as he wraps up the scripture in the text, you see the hope of confidence. And that's verses 13 and 14. David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Do you notice that how David concludes the chapter? He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. He, he, he's, he's preaching the gospel. And his audience is himself. He's preaching. But he, he doesn't have a lot of people. He's got himself. One of the most important things that you can do is to preach the gospel to yourself every single morning when you wake up. You preach it, and you continue to preach it the rest of your life. You remind yourself of who you are and who you are in Christ as we did a while ago. This is his confidence. Confidence has a source. It has a pursuit. It has a fight, but it also has a hope. And what his hope ultimately is grounded in, check this out, David's hope is ultimately grounded in not his own performance, but in the performance of Christ. This is what he's grounded his promises in, or his hope in. It's in, the, it's in the promises, the promises of Scripture. 
I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land and the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is self-preaching. This is the heart that spoke to God is now the heart that's speaking to itself. He is the most influential person in his life, and he's taken that up, and he is speaking truth to himself. The gospel, the confidence that he has now regained is become is because of he's preaching the gospel to himself. This is where his hope is. Every single person in this room has hope. The, the question is not, do you have hope? The question is, is where is your hope? I, I was a business major in college, and I can remember my teachers and professors telling us that the three most important words in real estate are location, location, location. The three most important words of your faith and your hope are location, location, location. In other words, what we mean by that is that every single person in this room has faith or has hope. The question is, is where is the location of your faith and hope? David's not looking inward for his faith and his hope. He's looking outside of himself into the promises of God. And ultimately now in the New Testament, we would see the full revelation of the gospel in Christ. And we put our faith and hope in what Jesus Christ is doing in the world. Our, our, our faith and promise, our faith and hope is not based upon our performance, but in the performance of Christ. Now, let, let me illustrate it this way. Last night, I don't know if you guys like it or not, but I already told you, like, we're a running family. But yesterday at 3 p.m., they kicked off the world, the world championships in track and field. It was on TV, and so I recorded that. We like to watch those events. It'll still be going on. But there's an event that's always kind of captured my attention, and that's the event of the high jumper. And a high jumper is a person that runs as fast as they can, and they have a certain bar that they run, and then they're going to try to jump and try to clear a certain height on their own effort, on their own performance. They'll try to clear a bar and jump so high. That's a high jumper. They also have an event that's called a pole vaulter. A high jumper and a pole vaulter are both trying to do the same thing. They're literally both running as fast as they can down a track, and then they both stop and they jump, and they're both trying to clear a bar at a certain height. Both the high jumper and the pole vaulter are both trying to run as fast as they can and jump as high as they can and clear a certain height. The difference is, is that the high jumper is depending upon all of himself to propel himself to a certain height. The pole vaulter is actually dependent upon a pole to suspend them and propel them to a height that they could never do upon their own effort and their own performance. Because of the pole, that runner is able to reach a certain height that they could never reach upon their own. Do you see where this is going? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the pole. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the pole that propels us to a new height that we could never do upon our own. On your own, you can only clear about five, six feet on a good day. But if you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ enables you to propel a certain height that you could never do on your own performance. 
If you're here this morning and you're thinking that, man, I'm just going to base my life and my hope based upon my own performance and how I live, and you're going to stand before Almighty God based upon your performance, you are in a bad situation and a bad day. But if you realize that you're a sinner and you realize that there's no hope within you, and you realize that your only hope is the location or the faith and the object of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are enabled actually to propel a new height that you could never do on your own. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. So at the end of the day, that's why David is saying he does not stand upon his own performance. He is standing upon the performance of Christ for his life. That's why he's able to have confidence. So for all of us in this room, I want you to understand something that we walk into the future with confidence, not because we have it all figured out, and not because you're always going to make all the right decisions, and not because you're always going to live perfectly, but it's because you're not standing on your performance, but you're standing upon the performance and the promises of Jesus Christ. The gospel is true. Jesus Christ has defeated death, your sin, and the best is always to come for those that are in Christ. It's with an FCA staff member not too long ago from Nashville. And he looked at me, and he said the following statement. He said, Aaron, Jesus Christ loves you, and there's not a thing in the world that you can do about it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. And God, we pray that um, your kingdom and your will and your way would be in our hearts and our minds. God, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be shaped by your word this week. That we would be people who have confidence, not because of us, but because of you. And God, we pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds to want to pursue you as much as we see David pursuing you. God, we pray that as we walk through those moments where our faith feels like a fight, that, God, that we would not believe that something's wrong, God, that we would just help us to understand that it's just hard. And, God, we need you and we need each other. God, I pray also that you would help us to be reminded of where our hope truly is. Our hope and our faith is not based upon our performance but on yours. And, God, your promises are true. God, help us to be people this this week to not listen to the voice of the world, but to, to, live in, to live in light of the voice of truth. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the light that it is in this community. And we pray for strength over Pastor Cruz. We pray that your hand would guide this entire leadership, that we would stay true to the gospel, and we would not waver, and we would not move. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.